not a live actualization of what took place in Daniel 5, but that's a bit of the scene. As we looked at last week in our series called Resolve, the first part of Daniel, we noted that Belshazzar threw a wild party, and the party was quickly interrupted by the living God, the hand of the Lord wrote upon a wall, and the original handwriting on the wall was three Aramaic words, one repeated for emphasis. And, and we noted last week how uh, Belshazzar, the, the king at that time in Babylon, was understandably shook, and he tried to take care of things himself. He tried to work things out where his astrologers could let him know what the meaning of those words were, and they couldn't do it. And you remember the queen mother said, I know someone, and Daniel agreed to come. And we left off last week around verse 16 where, da where the king was describing to Daniel what he wanted him to do. And the rest of our story today, verses 17 through 31, we're going to note in Belshazzar, and by the grace of God in ourselves as well, some attitudes that ensure a fall. Have you ever met someone, and the way they spoke, and the way they acted, there was sort of a check in your spirit going, I don't know that that person hears themselves. I don't know that they're going to be able to make it. Maybe you've noted that in yourself, some attitudes that sort of came out of nowhere as far as you knew and understood, and those attitudes began to ensure a spiritual fall. I remember last week, or week before last, watching the movie that I recommend, by the way, of course, using your discernment skills, but I recommend the movie, The Son of God, and one thing that I like what the directors or filmographers did is at the very beginning of when you saw the 12 disciples, they sort of highlighted Judas. In other words, in some scenes, they turned a camera toward him, and he appeared shifty. <laughs> he was a little creepier looking than the other disciples. He had some questions. He had a penchant, you could tell, toward greed, and it was that attitude that assured and led to his fall, becoming the betrayer of the Lord Jesus. So as we look at this story today, it's my hope that God will point out things in our life that we come face to face with and repent before the living God today about attitudes that ensure a fall. Now, in verse 16 last week, uh, the king said to Daniel, Now I have heard that you're able to give interpretations and solve difficult problems. And if you can read this writing and tell me what it means, you'll be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around your neck and you'll be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Verse 17, Then Daniel answered the king, You may keep your gifts for yourself and give your reward to someone else. Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. Well, I like that attitude. We're not sure of one of the things we lack in when we read the Bible is understanding inflection and facial expression. Many of you, when you speak, you use a lot of tones that clarify what you mean. And some of you uh, are not able to hide anything from your face. And so 
If, you, if we were to read a transcript of what you said, we couldn't tell if you were angry or frustrated or annoyed. But if we saw you, then we would know. And it's a little unclear, but there's a sense that Daniel is frustrated with Belshazzar. As big of a rascal as Nebuchadnezzar could be, do you remember how Daniel would respond to him? Oh, king, live forever. Let me humbly speak to you, was the demeanor that Daniel had toward Nebuchadnezzar. But it it seems like there has no respect at all that Daniel has for Belshazzar, but out of obedience to God and faithfulness to the Lord, he wants to help this person in need. But something we see in verse 16 and 17, the first attitude on your outline that ensures a fall is number one, and that's this, a wrong view of money. Now, money was nothing for the wealthy king. He had plenty of it, and he could snap his finger and get more. And he felt that it was his security. It could buy him out of any trouble he might be in. And something we note about money under number one is that money is a deceptive, false security. You know, the scripture tells us in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 11, it says the wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it an unscalable wall. In other words, sometimes either money that we have in our life, and it's not so much the amount of it, and maybe it might not be the possession of it, maybe it might be the hope of it or the longing for it, and, and we think or say to ourselves, if I just had this amount, then I'd be secure. If I just made this, then I would be okay. And some would say, since I have this, everything's all right. Because if I need something, I can buy it. If I want something, I can have it. If I get into trouble, then I can bail myself out. There is an underlying greed in many of us that we don't like to admit. Why? Because there's so many people more greedy than us. There's so many people that have so much more stuff and seem to be tied to it. And we may have a little, but and the Lord's not comparing our greed to the next person's. He's asking us, do you have your hope in anything other than me? I read a survey about what would you do for $10 million dollars. Maybe not the best thing to be thinking about in church this morning, but I was fascinated by a few of the responses. And I believe it was 25% said they would abandon their family or their church for $10 million. Uh, Some of them said they would be, they would, for a week, would be involved in a sex crime industry. 23% said it was just a, a, an awful look at what some people were willing to do for extreme wealth. Why? Because we think then we'd, then we'd have hope because, th- because we have something to bail us out. But Pro- Solomon wisely admonished us in Proverbs 23, verse 5. He said, cast but a glance at riches, for surely they will sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. Have you ever had some money in your wallet that was a decent amount of money. Maybe you cashed a check or had something, and then you went to this store, and then you went to that store, and then you went to this store, and then you went home, and you had one dollar in your pocket. (laughs) And you think of that verse. What happened to those dollar bills? Well, they had wings. That's what happened to them, and they flew off. And and sometimes when they're gone, we feel like we have no hope. 
But God, brothers and sisters, is our hope. And that's why we're told in Hebrews chapter 13, 5, to keep your lives free from the love of money and to be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you and never will I forsake you. Money will leave you. And money for sure will forsake you. But the living God will not. Now, something else we note that was an attitude that ensures the fall as the story continues is number two on your outline this morning. And it's simply this, a, the failure to learn. Belshazzar was not a learner. He had arrived, and there is an incredible, unteachable spirit in him. And one of the things that we must develop in our life for our entire life until we see the Lord Jesus is a willingness to learn. Now, specifically, there was three things that he needed to be willing to learn under number two, and the first one is A, and it's simply this. He had a failure to learn from the mistakes of others. It's interesting, most feel that the party guest remained in the room. And it, a, a few hours may have gone by. Now, some may have scattered, but the sense was there were two in shock and too scared to leave before someone could explain to them what on earth just went down with the handwriting on the wall. And rather than just say, oh, well, this is what that means, Daniel launched into a sermon to the drunk crowd. And I find it interesting that the least likely group to listen to a sermon got one that night. And basically, Daniel becomes pastoral. He becomes fatherly, so to speak, and, 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 but the stern father. Not the kind of dad that's taking you to get ice cream, but the kind of dad that make, is going to make you listen and learn something. And in verse 18, he tells Belshazzar about his grandfather. In verse, and he says this, O king, the Most High God gave your father Nebuchadnezzar sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. By the way, the word father is used in general and could has many meanings when it's used formally, and so most believe it was his grandfather. But in verse 19, it says this, because of the high position he gave him, all the peoples and the nations and men of every language dreaded and feared him. Those who he wanted to put to death, th those the king wanted to put to death, he put to death. Those who he wanted to spare, he spared. Those he wanted to promote, he promoted. And those he wanted to humble, he humbled. But, in verse 20, when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was deposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. Now, he, he's talking about Nebuchadnezzar, and we looked at his story in chapter 4 about the humiliation he experienced because of his pride. But he noted in verse 19 that the king had an independent spirit. If he wanted to do this, he did it. And if he wanted to humble someone, he did it. If he wanted to kill someone, he killed him. He did whatever he wanted to do. And that's a mistake that Belshazzar should have learned from. And, and by the way, now some of you emotionally, the way you're wired, you are an independent person. And, and there can be a lot of good about a personality that is independent. Why? Because you can earn a living. You can take care of your house. You can do things on your own. But sometimes when you transfer that understandable personality into your spiritual life, you become spiritually independent. And you do what you want to do. You want to call the shots because it's about you. 
And the living Lord wants us to be completely dependent upon him. That's why Jesus told us, and this is what I quoted this morning before I walked into this room. I quoted John 15, 5, where Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Yet Nebuchadnezzar did whatever he wanted to do. Well, in verse 20, we find that when he became arrogant and hardened his heart with pride, he was deposed and stripped of his splendor. And Belshazzar had forgotten about the danger of pride. Imagine the arrogance of in his stupor going and getting the relics from the temple and blaspheming them like he did in the early part of Daniel chapter 5. He needed to learn from the example of the hard heart and proud heart of his grandfather. Well, something else we should note and learn is B. We should learn from the spiritual growth of others as well. I remember doing a funeral some time ago for, a, for someone, and, and they had three children, and they had two kids that had trouble with the law and trouble with addiction, and one child that was an, an angel. And I said, what was the difference that you saw? And they said, the third child watched the first two learn from them and said, I want nothing to do with the choices that they've made. And sometimes we feel like we must repeat the choices that others before us have made. Well, they did it. I might as well. It seems to be my destiny. But a wise person will learn not just from the mistakes of others, but will learn also from the spiritual growth of others. In verse 21, though it's a harsh story, it's really a story of great victory. It recaps what we read in Daniel 4, where it says this, He was driven away from the people and given the mind of an animal. He lived with the wild donkeys and ate grass like cattle, and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he acknowledged that the Most High God is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and sets over them anyone he wishes. In other words, this was the high point of Nebuchadnezzar's life. The one thing that God had been impressing on Nebuchadnezzar the, his entire life was that God was in control and he was not. That God was the great one. That God was the sovereign. And finally, in great spiritual victory, he began to understand just who God was. Then he was restored to the throne, as you might recall. Well, Daniel is now chiding this young, arrogant king, saying, you should have learned from the great story handed down to you from Nebuchadnezzar about what God did in his life. You know, there's so many people that have gone before us that, <clears throat> yes, went through deep waters, yes, went through incredible challenges and valleys of their life, but they've come out walking with God so true and so deeply, and we need to be inspired and encouraged by them and learn from the success spiritually of others. Well, there's also something else he fa failed to learn, and that's C, we must <clears throat> learn from the mistakes of ourselves. Now, mistakes is not a word that really gives justice. It, it, it should be more worded evil or sins, but we, we understand the concept of really making a huge spiritual error and mistake. Look at what he's told in verse 22. He says, but you, his son, O Belshazzar, have not humbled yourself though you knew all this. Stop for a moment. We might be tempted to think, well, Belshazzar didn't know about his grandfather. He didn't really understand all this. It was, you know, it was some 20 or 30 years before that. But Daniel reminds him, you knew about this. You knew the story. You just didn't listen. 
The stories were passed down. Everybody knew about this story, yet it meant nothing to you. And then in verse 23, he highlights the depths of his sin and said, Instead, you've set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You had the goblets from his temple brought to you. And you and your nobles, your wives and your concubines, drank wine from them. You praised the God of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand. But you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. By the way, that is a beautiful devotional thought at the end of verse 23. His failure was simply this. He refused to honor God. We're we're, we're here for God's honor, not not ours, who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. If you ever feel like your life is out of control, go back to Daniel 5, 23 and claim the truth that God has your life and all your ways in his hand. He is holding you. He is governing you. And he wants to work all things together for your good and his glory if you would but trust him. And we're to honor the God who holds our life in his sovereign, mighty hand. But it was though he refused to learn from his mistakes. We're not sure if this is just a summary of what he said. But finally, he's ready to do what the king desperately wanted him to do he goes to the handwriting on the wall and begins to explain them. In verse 24, it says, Therefore he sent, he sent the hand that wrote the inscription. This is the inscription that was written. Mene, mene, tekel, parson. And that's verse 25. These are three different Aramaic words that, interestingly enough, are financial terms. They are dollar amounts, essentially. And what all of these verses go to show is they show that, number three on your outline, another attitude that he had is, that, is forgetting our accountability to God. Matter of fact, the meaning of these three Aramaic words are something also you hear in our society. Matter of fact, there's a brief clip of an old movie 10, 15 years ago where this quote was used. Can you pull that up real quick? Have you ever heard anyone use that term? You've been weighed and measured and found wanting. It, it's interesting to me, whenever I hear a biblical term being used and someone says, well, that's the handwriting on the wall. Hey, you've been weighed, measured, and you've been found wanting. I want to say, by the way, do you realize that's in the Bible? <laughs> not, not some smart, cute person made that up. It's in the Word of God. Well, as, as Daniel goes on to describe the meaning of these words, he says in verse 26, this is what these words mean. Mene, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Mene is a term that meant 50 shekels. It was a larger coin. And the, the way that Daniel interpreted the meaning of the 50 shekels of Mene was that God had numbered you. You were numbered by God. And Your days aren't going to go on and on and on forever, king. God is bringing them to an end. Then the phrase tekel, in verse 27, tekel, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. This was a term that financially meant one shekel. So it would be like if if the handwriting on the wall was in a different language and it said $20, $1, and then 50 cents. We would go, what does that mean? Well, when he mentioned the term tekel, it also can be translated that this is weight. And Daniel wanted to illustrate that you have been put on the scales 
and you are too light. Your words, your life, are not heavy enough to balance and bring uh, tip the weight of your good deeds before the Lord. It's funny, my, uh, f- my second born who is try- who's been trying to put on weight for a year or two to bulk up for high school and then hopefully college athletics, we have a scale in my bathroom. And we have completely different reactions when we get on the scale. If he gets on the scale and he's gained weight, he's like, yes! I'll be in the other room like, what? He goes, I weigh 188 pounds. Yeah! I put on three pounds. And if I get on the scale and I say, yes! It's because I lost a few pounds. I have not celebrated that I've gained weight in years and years. But it's interesting Can you imagine? Most of us don't ever say, man, I am just too light. Because if we're too light, it's often because there's some type of sickness that we can't seem to gain weight. Well, the Lord is saying, you, your righteousness on your own is light. It's weak. It's not enough in my sight. And then he gives the other word, which is Perez or Parson. Your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. This is a term that meant half a shekel, or the shekel has been divided. And he understands, Daniel's, the Lord has revealed to the prophet, that that means your kingdom is going to be cut in half. It's going to be divided between the Medes and the Persians, and it's going to be taken from you. So you've been numbered, you've been weighed, and you have been divided. What he forgot was that he was accountable to God. He thought he only reported to himself. And we can forget that as well. We can sometimes think that we are going to stand before ourselves. But the truth is, we always stand before the living God. We're told in Romans chapter 14, verse 12, each of us then will give account of himself to God. Now, there's a fourth principle, and you might be a little surprised in verse 29. Then at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple, and a gold chain was placed around his neck, and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Does that confuse you a little bit? Because in verse 17 here, if you do this, I'm going to give you this. And he goes, I don't want that, but I will serve you. But I don't want all the stuff. And then in verse 29, he receives it. What's going on? Well, there's a couple things going on. I think on Daniel's part, if we could see it, it I think the, the thought was, well, this gold, this honor, all, all these things are worth nothing anyway. The king has not listened to me. Why embarrass him even more so at this point? I'm just going to go along with it because within a number of moments, everything he's given me will not be mine. It won't mean anything. And so who knows? After he put him on, Daniel may have quickly taken them off. But I wouldn't see this as Daniel all of a sudden becoming greedy. Okay, good. I got the thing I didn't really want anyway. But what we see is a failure to deal with spiritual reality again by Belshazzar. And basically... He didn't listen to the prophecy. He didn't, he didn't care that God had weighed and measured him and he was found wanting. Instead of humbling himself, of bowing down and going, like David, when the prophet Nathan told David that you were the man that's committed adultery, you're the man that's committed a murder, he, he, he wept and he said, I have sinned. But in verse 4, I mean, number four on your outline, one of the attitudes that ensures the fall is when we, is, involves this, keeping up the show. In other words, he kept going through the motions that he was in charge. And he said, hey, I'm going to make you the third ruler. Thank you for telling us what that meant. And here is your regal 
uh, colors, and here is your money, and congratulations. Do you think his response should have been a bit differently? Instead of acting like God's word wasn't true, he went through the motions and carried it on spiritually and just said, hey, what you just said doesn't matter to me. I think that if he would have humbled himself and said, Father, God, the one true God I have sinned against you, I, I think his situation would not have changed from consequences, but his relationship with God would have drastically changed. Sometimes we get to the point and we say, what's the use? I really blown it this time, and I'm going to have to pay. And so nothing I do, nothing I can do, whatever change these circumstances. And so we give up. I want to tell you this morning, not to keep going through the motions, not to put on a show, but to respond with meekness and humility before the Lord and say, Lord, I've sinned regardless of if you think it will, quote, do you no good. Well, in verse 30 and 31, we find some ominous words. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain. And Darius the Mede took over and the kingdom at the age of 62. Now, basically, those of you who had more than one child know that many of them have very different personalities. Same mom, same dad, but they respond very differently. I remember when my oldest son, who's now at college, drove, and he began taking the, his four other brothers to school. He was the firstborn and was, you know, down for breakfast, ready to go. All right, come on, come on, we're leaving. Well, then there is the second born and the fourth born that are pokey little puppies. And they are like, hold on, I'm not done. You know, one more bite of this, one more bite of that. And in their minds, they had all the time in the world. And maybe you felt that way spiritually, that it's okay, I'll get to it, because I have all the time in the world. Time's not moving. Time's not going anywhere. Well, the Lord is the one who's in control of time. And we're told in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, to be careful how you live, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. Time is numbered, time is going somewhere, and time will end. Our time will end. And Belshazzar acted like nothing mattered. He could do as he wanted to without any consequence, and that he had all of the time in the world. And that's an attitude that ensures a fall. Number five on your outline, and that is a false view of time you have time but it's not your time it's God's time and you must have his view his understanding of time redeem the time use the time he has given you here for his glory as we consider this passage about these attitudes that ensure a fall has God spoken to your heart about these attitudes that might be in your life